Good morning, good morning. Today is Sunday, January 30th. We have, uh, we're starting Leviticus 1 through 4, Psalm 30, and we have a video on Leviticus. And let's ask the Lord's blessing on this time, then we'll watch this video. Heavenly Father, amazing creator of the universe, King of kings, Lord of lords. We just ask, Lord, that you would just uh, open our hearts and our eyes to your word right now, Lord. As we start this new book of your word, Leviticus, Lord, just uh, give us understanding, give us wisdom, just fill us with your spirit, Lord. Okay, God responds to the Israelites' sin and rebellion by providing them an elaborate series of rituals and institutions to deal with their sin. God's holiness motivates him to deal with the rebellion so he can live among them in peace. Let's watch the video. The book of Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible, and it's set right after the exodus of the Israelites from their slavery, when God brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai and invited Israel into a covenant relationship. Now, they had quickly rebelled and broke that covenant, and God had wanted for his glorious presence to come and live right in the midst of Israel in the form of this tabernacle. But Israel's sin has damaged the relationship. So, at the end of the previous book, Exodus, Moses, as Israel's representative, could not even enter. God's presence in the tent. The book of Leviticus opens by reminding us of this fundamental problem. It says, the Lord called to Moses from the tent. So the question is, how can Israel, in their sin and selfishness, be reconciled to this holy God? That's what this book is all about, how God is graciously providing a way for sinful, corrupt people to live in his holy presence. Now, let's pause for a second and explore this really important idea that God is holy. It's fundamental to understanding this book. The word holy means simply to be set apart or unique. And in the Bible, God is set apart from all other things because of his unique role as the creator of all, as the author of life itself. And so if God is holy, then the space around God is also holy. It's full of his goodness and his life and purity and justice. So if Israel, who is unjust and sinful, wants to live in God's holy presence, they too need to become holy. Their sin has to be dealt with. Thus, the book of Leviticus. Now, the book has a really amazing symmetrical design. It explores the three main ways that God helps Israel to live in his presence. The outer sections are descriptions of the rituals Israel was to practice in God's holy presence. The next inner sections focus on the role of Israel's priests as mediators between God and Israel. And inside of that are two matching sections that focus on Israel's purity. And then right here at the center of the book, there's a key ritual, the Day of Atonement, that brings the whole book together. The book concludes with a short section where Moses calls on Israel to be faithful to this covenant. Let's dive into the book. The first section explores the five main types of ritual sacrifices that Israel was to perform. Two of these were ways that an Israelite could say thank you to God by offering back to God these symbolic tokens of what God has first given them. Three other sacrifices were different ways of saying sorry to God. So here an Israelite would offer up the lifeblood of an animal while confessing that their sin has created more evil and death in God's good world. But instead of destroying this person, God, of course, wants to forgive them. And so this animal symbolically dies in their place and atones, which means it covers for their sin. 
And so through these rituals, the Israelites were constantly being reminded of God's grace, but also of his justice and of the seriousness of their evil and its consequences. The second set of rituals lays out the seven annual feasts of Israel. And each of these retold a different part of the story about how God redeemed them from slavery in Egypt and brought them through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And by celebrating these feasts regularly, Israel would remember who they were and who God was to them. Now the sections about Israel's priests, you have Aaron and his sons first ordained to enter into God's presence on behalf of Israel. And then in this matching section, we find the qualifications for being a priest. The priests were called to the highest level of moral integrity and ritual holiness because they represented the people before God, but then also represented God to the people. Now, we find out why the priest's holiness matters so much back here in this first section. Right after the family of Aaron was ordained, two of his sons waltz right into God's presence and flagrantly violate the rules. And so they are consumed by God's holiness on the spot. It's a haunting reminder of the paradox of living in God's holy presence because it's pure goodness, but it becomes dangerous to those who rebel and insult God's holiness. And so it's important that Israel's priests become holy and also that all of the people of Israel become holy, which is what the next intersections are all about. Chapters 11 through 15 are about the ritual purity required of all the Israelites, and chapters 18 through 20 are about the moral purity of the people. Here's what's underneath all of this purity and impurity language. Because God is holy and he's set apart, the Israelites need to be in a state of holiness themselves when they enter into his presence. This was called being clean or pure. God's presence was off limits to anybody who was not in a holy state, and this was called being unclean or impure. Now, an Israelite could become impure in just a few ways, by contact with reproductive body fluids, by having a skin disease, by touching mold or fungus, or by touching a dead body. Now, for the Israelites, all of these were associated with mortality, with the loss of life, which gets us to the core symbol of all these ideas. You become impure when you're contaminated by touching death so to speak. And death is the opposite of God's holiness because God's essence is life. Now this is really key. Simply being impure was not sinful or wrong. Touching these kinds of things was a normal part of everyday life. And impurity was a temporary state. It just lasted a week or two and then it's over. What was wrong or sinful was to waltz into God's presence carrying these symbols of death and impurity on my body. Don't do that. Now the last way of becoming impure was by eating certain animals. And the kosher food laws are found right here in this section. Now there have been lots of theories about why certain animals were considered impure and off limits to promote hygiene or to avoid cultural taboos. The text just isn't explicit. But the basic point of all of these chapters is really clear. Altogether, these work as an elaborate set of cultural symbols that reminds Israel that God's holiness was to affect all areas of their lives. This corresponding section over here is about Israel's moral purity. The Israelites were called to live differently than the Canaanites. They were to care for the poor instead of overlooking them. They were to have a high level of sexual integrity, and they were to promote justice throughout their entire land. Now here at the center of the book, we find a long description of one of Israel's annual feasts, 
the Day of Atonement. Odds are that not every Israelite's sin and rebellion would be covered through the individual sacrifices. And so once a year, the high priest would take two goats. One of these would become a purification offering and atone for the sins of the people. And the other was called the scapegoat. The priest would confess the sins of Israel and symbolically place them on this goat, and then it would be cast out into the wilderness. Again, this is a very powerful image of God's desire to remove sin and its consequences from his people so that God can live with them in peace. The book concludes with Moses calling Israel to be faithful to all of the terms of the covenant. And he describes the blessings of peace and abundance that will result if Israel obeys all of these laws. He also warns them that if they're unfaithful and dishonor God's holiness, it will result in disaster and ultimately exile from the land promised to Abraham. Now, if you want to see how Leviticus fits into the big storyline, it's helpful to look at the first sentence of the next book of the Bible, Numbers. It begins, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent. So we can see that Moses is now able to enter God's presence on behalf of Israel. The book of Leviticus, it worked. So despite Israel's failure, God has provided a way for their sin to be covered so that God can live with sinful people in peace. And that's what the book of Leviticus is all about. All right, Leviticus chapter 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons and priests shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar, that is, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it to pieces, and the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire, and Aaron's sons the priest shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, and on the wood that is on the fire of the altar, but its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the, on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar, and he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer all of it a and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons, and the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out of the sides of the altar, and he shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it aside beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. 
Chapter 2, when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is most holy part of the Lord's food offering. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if you offer, and your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, and it shall be made of fine flour with oil, and you shall... Bring the grain offering that is made from these things to the Lord, and when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar, and the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons, and is most, as is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey as food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering with all your offerings as you shall offer with all your offerings you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering, of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of the first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain, and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial portion, some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. Chapter 3 If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and he shall lay his hands on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord. He shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood, on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering for the sacrifice of peace, if his offering for sacrifice, if his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers the lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on the head of the offering, and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys and the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord and lay his hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. 
And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Chapter 4. And the Lord said to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, and does any of any one of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, this Thus, bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting and all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting and all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver then he shall remove with the kidneys just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings and the priest shall burn them on the altar of of burnt offering but the skin of the bull and all its flesh with its head its legs its entrails and its dung all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place to the ash heap and he shall burn it on a on a fire of wood on the ash heap it shall be be burned up if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they do any one of the things that things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt. When the, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall bring some of the blood of the bull into the tent of meeting, and the priest shall dip his fingers in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns and the altar that is in the tent of meeting before the Lord and the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting and all its fat he shall take from it and burn on the altar thus he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull of the sin offering so shall he do this and the priest shall make an atonement for them and they shall be forgiven and shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it up as he burned the first bull it is the sin offering for the assembly. When a leader sins, doing unintentionally any of the things that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done, and he realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring his offering a goat, a male without blemish, and shall lay his hands on the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering, which his finger has put the horns of the altar, a burnt offering, and pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, and all its fat he shall burn on the altar, like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offering. So the peace shall be atonement for him for his sin, and he shall be forgiven. 
If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, and kill the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar, and all its fat he shall remove as the fat is removed from the peace offering and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord and the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven if he brings a lamb for his offering for a sin offering he shall bring a female without blemish and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering, then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar and all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offering and the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offering and the priest shall make atonement for him which is for, this, for the sin which he has committed and he shall be forgiven." <clears throat> psalm 30 titled joy comes with the morning it's a psalm of david a song at the dedication of the temple i will extol you o lord for you have drawn me up and you have not let my foes rejoice over me o lord my god i cried to you for help and you have healed me o lord you have brought up my soul from sheol you have restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that the glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do certainly give thanks to you, Lord, forever. We're so thankful, so grateful for how you've worked in our lives, for your love, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy, for your forgiveness, Lord, for this amazing gift of salvation that you've bestowed upon us, Lord, that we have been made, have been put back into a right standing with you, that we have been justified in your eyes because of what Jesus did on the cross. What you did on the cross for us, Lord. Father, we ask that your will would be accomplished on this earth, Lord, as it is in heaven, Lord, that you would draw people to yourself, that you would open their hearts and their eyes to your word, Lord, that you would bring them to a saving faith in you, Lord. Lord, I think of our president and our congressmen and women and our uh, judges and governors and uh, state senates and 
Lord, local leaders, Lord, we just lift them up to you, Lord. We know your heart is to see them. Your desire is for them not to perish, Lord, but for them to come to repentance, for them to be saved for all eternity into your kingdom, to be adopted as sons and daughters. And so, Lord, we just ask that your will would be accomplished in all people, Lord, no matter what the position is, no matter where they are, Lord. Draw them to yourself, Lord. Father, we ask that you would forgive us. We're thankful that you have forgiven us, Lord, and we ask that you would help us to forgive to the degree that you have forgiven us, Lord, totally, completely, perfectly, Lord. Lord, thank you for providing for us like you always do. You're such a great provider, such abundance and provision, all that we need. You always take care of us, Lord. Father, be with those that are suffering. I think of uh, Lynn and Pam, Lord, we just lift them up to you, Mark and Trish, uh, those suffering with backs and illnesses and pains, Lord. Uh, think of Zach, Pastor Zach, Lord, and we just lift him up to you. Um, Father, we just thank you for being our God. And Lord, we just lift up this day to you, a day set aside to worship and glorify you, Lord. We just ask that you would draw people out to your church, Lord, to not just to our fellowship, but to every fellowship in the state and the county and in this country, Lord, in other countries, Lord. Just inspire people to come out and worship you, Lord. And I wish we would do these things on our own, Lord, that we would... Uh, just for you, Lord, that it would be in our heart, Lord. But so often we need you. We need your prodding, your strength, your everything, Lord, to to come and wholeheartedly worship you and to give our all to you, Lord. And I wish I know one day when the sin nature is gone and. You won't have to prod us, Lord. We, we will be there worshiping you, glorifying you, Lord. And, uh, but Lord, uh, for those now, Lord, that need that prodding, we just ask that you would prod them, that you would encourage them to, to come out to your fellowships, Lord, and just to worship you and in the study of your word and in the singing of praises and glorifying your name, Lord in conversation with you. So, Lord, we just ask that this day would just be a blessing to you, Lord, first and foremost. And, Lord, certainly that you would pass that blessing down upon us, Lord. Thank you for adopting us as your sons and daughters, for loving us, Lord, so much. In the name of Jesus, we pray this morning. Amen. All right. We'll see you guys in a bit.